Well, let's pray. Father, I ask that this Sunday morning that church would be more than something that we simply just do. Something that um, we're not just at. But we give our full attention to you. Ask that you give us eyes to see, Father. Hearts postured before you with fertile soil. Minds to comprehend. Father, feet that want to run with obedience. May we walk out of here different. May we walk out of here worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, just to go back to a little bit of the in-between time, between the, um, I guess, just the um, stewarding time, whatever, just right after worship. You know, there's so many things that we're being flooded with within our minds that try to force us towards fear and worry and anxiousness and depression. And the fact of the matter is we find our perfect peace in Christ. Not what the world... I don't care if whatever news network or source told you that the world was ending tomorrow and they could prove it, or that my life was going to end tomorrow and they could prove it. I don't care what they have to say. You know what I care? About what Jesus Christ says and who I am and where I'm going. Amen? So living that out becomes more complicated. It gets really complicated because you hear these things and then you start to worry about them. Well, what about my retirement? Well, what about this and what about that? It's all in Christ's hands. So, um, we're back in Exodus. We're trekking through it. And um, today we are technically going to review chapters 24, 25, and Mark, Mark, wave your hand. Hi, Mark. Mark's actually going to share with us, our intern Mark is going to share with us next week. And um, are you ready for it? <laughs> um, what I share with Mark is um, next week when he shares that it's going to hurt a little bit. Because, you know, when, when you're up here preaching, you, you're actually vulnerable, because there's many opinions around the room. Many opinions of, well, you should have said this, or you could have said that, or I don't understand what you were saying, but I gathered that you said this. Well, that means that you understood what I said then. And there's such this thickening of the skin that needs to take place as a son of Christ. So next week, um, Mark gets to step into that calling in his life of one step closer to... Um, living in that. So I'm excited about it, and uh, we all should be excited as well. But if he's better than me, just keep him humble, right? <laughs> when he's better than me. So um, yeah, we're trekking through Exodus 24, 25. I love how as we walk through the book of Exodus, we discover many powerful qualities about who God is. Have you guys been discovering those things? I continue to preach to myself little by little, Little by little, 
little by little. But one of the things we need to refresh ourselves on throughout um, Exodus, not because um, we necessarily missed it or intentionally skipped over it or not that we didn't preach it well, simply because we could start at um, the first chapter of Exodus and preach so many different things about um, the book that we were unable to hit before. So one of the things um, I want to address will actually be in Exodus 19 today, and then we'll go to Exodus 25. But before we get there, we first want to go to Genesis. And you guys are all familiar, or many of you are familiar, are aware that in the beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And it was good. And then God ended up creating man. And it was good. And then out of man, he ended up created woman, right? He created the woman. And then what ended up happening is um, God gave them this really nice garden. It was known as the Garden of Eden, which allowed them access to his presence, So in the garden, they could do whatever they want except do what? Eat from one tree. And in this garden, they had access to the presence of the living God. He would walk with them. He would talk to them in a very intimate way. Amazing to walk in the presence of God, to have a place created for the presence of God to be with man. But you know what? They're still man and woman. And they ended up sinning. They fell short. They did the one thing that God told told Adam not to do. They ate from the tree. And because they fell short, now now they can't, in in their sin, they can't be in the presence of God without a sacrifice or atonement. So what ended up happening is um, there were curses. There were curses because of their sin, right? And one of the um, uniquenesses is not only were there curses, so men are going to labor and women are going to have birthing pains. Not only are there curses, but they were also kicked out of the garden. This place that was created for them to walk in the presence of God, they were now kicked out of. Not allowed back in. And do you, know, um, do you know that there is no curse greater? There's no thing worse, nothing worse than being kicked out of the presence of God. You realize that? There's nothing worse. In all of eternity, there's nothing worse than separation from God. See, even, see the, I believe the uniqueness, even the deepest and darkest sin that you can think of, the worst sinners you can ever imagine who are on earth today, I still believe that they experience some piece of who God is. There's so much more. And even today at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, we may be uh, having some peace right now and some hope, but there's even more. There's more in who God is. But there's nothing worse than being exiled out of the presence of God. And one day, 
people will eternally be with Christ or people will eternally be exiled from Christ. So with or without Christ. And if you're with Christ, amen. But if you're without Christ, there's nothing worse than that. You get it. What we're seeing here in the beginning of time is is God saying, because of your sin, you can't be in my presence. You are exiled out of my presence. This place, the Garden of Eden, you're out of. But all of us have experienced exile to some degree, right? We've experienced through sin, through injustice, through corruption, through anxiousness, through greed, through depression, through self-centeredness, through lack of self-control, through hatred, through loneliness. We've all experienced exile. Through even busyness. All of these are a result of not being in Eden. And this is what it's like to not be in the presence of God. When we experience pieces of those things, that's what it's like to not be in the presence of God. Which means Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's sin could have made it seem as if their ability to be in God's presence could have been forever lost. So they're kicked out, you can't come back in. Not, they not knowing what we know today, it's easy for us to know kind of the end of the story. This was the beginning of the story. So at the beginning of the story, after they, they had sinned, there had to be this maybe doubt or worry or thought that how do we fix this? Can we fix this? They might have thought that they were out of God's presence forever. Now, we have to know that the only cure for God's exile is God's presence. That's it. God's presence in our life. A.W. Tozer um, says, our increased rec- uh, sorry, restlessness is caused by being away from God's presence. Our increased, our increased restlessness, restlessness, right? Let's, let's go back to earlier. Friends is not working, right? The office is not cutting it bowl of ice cream. This bowl of ice cream's not cutting it. Another scoop. Another scoop. What about, what about when ice cream's not cutting it? So then, so then we start crossing boundaries with friends and other peers at work. And the things that we say and the things that we're willing to do just to relate and feel valued. There's this restlessness inside that can only be cured by the presence of God. So quit searching other places. See, we get caught in this moment where we feel like we have to earn God's presence, that we have to do something right, that we have to pray the right way or say the right thing. It's actually 
God's always here. It's, it's not that um, we can't experience his presence. It's usually that we're unwilling to let go of. Our inability to let go of things is keeping us from the presence of God. See, many of us want both. We want to toe the line of I want the world and I want Jesus. And when we want to toe that line of God, I want you, but I want the world, then then there's a good chance we're not going to have that um, experience that we're longing to, to be in the presence of God. So will we be willing to let go of those things? Nevertheless, God loves us so much that in spite of Adam and Eve's sin, that he had a plan. And his plan was put in place through a covenant with Abraham. And in his covenant, we see that God is going to restore his blessings to all nations. So God, through a covenant with Abraham, is going to restore his presence to all people. His relationship with all people. Many of you guys are familiar with that. But some of you might not understand the importance of the covenant of Jesus, uh, the covenants throughout Scripture. So this covenant is going to um, bring restoration of relationship and access to his presence. So now in Exodus 19. How many of you guys remember what happens in Exodus 19? We get to this big old mountain, right, bigger than Yankee Hill, and um, one of Mechanicsburg's claims to fame, the second highest place in Ohio, and you can actually see Columbus, Ohio from there. Anyone ever done that? One, two, three, four. Guys, what are you doing? What are you doing with your lives? I'm serious. You're from Mechanicsburg, and you've never seen Columbus, Ohio from Hawk Road. Okay, thank you. True Mechanicsburg. When you leave church today, I commission you on your way to Dragon Fett, to the Chinese food restaurant in Urbana, pull onto Hawk Road safely, check everything, right? And look that direction over, over a barn across from the Gaver's house between the two trees, and you're going to literally see Columbus, Ohio, and the buildings. Even, well, I was going to say, even if um, you have bad eyes, but um, you're, you're able to see it. If not, if you can't see it, schedule a time with me, and I'll take you out there. So, um, nevertheless, They find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has appeared, right? In this heavy cloud. And um, he's right in front of them at Mount Sinai. This cloud was so big and powerful. His presence was so full and powerful that people trembled. There's a piece of me that says, I want to experience God's presence that way, where I tremble. But trembling is not like a great trembling either. There's fear that represents it. But God's right there. And uh, it had to be a scary thing. 
But God has shown up because he is inviting them into a close and distinct relationship with them. So the people have been uh, delivered from the hands of Pharaoh. They're on their way out. They pass through the sea. God's delivered them from other enemies, right? He takes them around, and now they are at Mount Sinai. And now the heavy presence, the heavy clouds right there. The word used for this close and distinct relationship is covenant. God wants to have a covenant relationship with Israel. And in chapter 19, we begin to see that. Now, a covenant is basically a legal agreement, right? I'll do this, and sometimes in the Bible, some of the covenants are, I'll do this, and you kind of don't have to do anything. It's just what it is. So one of those would be um, God's covenant with Noah. Noah built the ark, and then God's promise was actually the rainbow, right? The covenant of the rainbow. I saw one the other day that I'll never destroy the earth. I'll never flood the earth like this ever again. Do you guys believe the Bible? Why don't we cry every time we see a rainbow? Because the science world wants to explain away where a rainbow came from. Maybe there are a few pieces to it, but God did it. If God didn't want there to be rainbows, God wouldn't allow there to be rainbows. But Noah had nothing to do. It was just, here's my covenant, I promise. Here's this, even a sign of my covenant. I will never flood the earth this way. And now we find ourselves the covenant with Israel. Now, um, in this legal agreement, God hasn't required anything of Israel thus far. Other than for them to trust him. That's it, trust me. But now on Mount Sinai, um, he's going to ask a lot of his people. He's going to ask a lot of you and I. So here at Mount Sinai, we have the Ten Commandments. How many of you guys have ever followed those perfectly? We got an honest church. Wait, I need to start asking questions that way. Because then we'll really be a participating church. So how many of you have not sinned? Wow, thanks for participating. We have the most participating church in Mechanicsburg. You can change stats however you want. So we have the Ten Commandments. And then we have all these other rules and guidelines that throughout Scripture God's going to present, right? So like, if someone breaks into your house and it's nighttime and you um, kill them, they shouldn't have broke into your house, whatever. But if it's daytime and someone breaks into your house and you kill them, then it's, it's probably your fault. You're in trouble now. Or if, if your ox, if your ox falls into a hole and this hole was supposed to be covered up, then the person needs to repay you. And then if you have illegal possession of, that was fun too, an ox or this or that, or, or don't boil a goat in its mom's milk. 
Seriously, that's funny, isn't it? I don't know how that applies to me today other than I, I learned God's character of how he cared about people back then. So he gives them all these rules and guidelines. So what is he doing now? He's requiring a lot from them. Knowing because of his foreknowledge that none of them would be able to keep it, keep it perfectly. Most of these guidelines were about loving God, right, and loving people. That's the sum of all the laws. Love God, love people. And what God said throughout this covenant is, if they obey the commands, they will become the people who will represent God to the nation, to the nations like priests. So if you obey it, look, you're going to represent me. To the nations, that's what you're going to end up doing. But, um, and actually in uh, chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. It says, you will become a kingdom of priests. So why is that important? That's important. And there's a lot of good information in here. I don't love the way it's going right now. But stay with me, okay? That's good information as kingdom uh, priests, because Abraham, God promised through Abraham that everyone would be blessed. And then, now we see with Israel that that blessing of God's promise through Abraham can take place. So all of the world, all of the nations can be blessed through now um, God's people, Israel, as kingdom priests. And what this is doing is this is confirming God's covenant with Abraham, that God will do what he said he will do. Amen? So, throughout chapter 19, we see that God is warning Moses to tell his people to stay off the mountain, or they will die. They are not holy enough. Even the priests had to consecrate themselves. But God still wants to be with his people. I think God hates not being in our presence. I don't understand it. Why would this perfect God want to be with such a sinner like me? I can't even convince a human to always want to sit next to me. <laughs> right? Why could I convince a God... And actually, it's not about my convincing. It's just about who he is. So because of their lack of um, atonement, you can't come up and be in my presence. So many people there were not willing to go up the mountain to be in God's presence. So you know what God did? Is he decided that since we can't go up, He'll come down. So he, he, he's creating a plan now in Exodus 19 and then continued on. Once we get to 24 and then 25, he's creating a plan for us to follow to bring his presence from the mountain down so that we can walk and be in his presence and carry it wherever we go. So that's what he does. And that's the reason why God requires Moses to build a tab tabernacle. Because God is ready to take up 
habitation with his people again. So we see over the next several weeks and chapters extreme details about exactly how to build a tabernacle and some more chapters about how exactly they built it. So we have a few people in here who could help us with that. You know, the Bobs, um, any Bobs can do it. Ray could um, set up Wi-Fi in the tabernacle. There's people who could help build a building, right? It's not about just building a building, but it's about what God's doing in this building. Now, one of the key notes we must make about the tabernacle is it is um, the Garden of Eden imagery. When you are in the tabernacle, you are in the presence of God, like the times of the Garden of Eden. Many people skip over the tabernacle because you start reading about all these weird details, right? And you're like, what does this even mean to me? So it means something to you because it's about God's presence, God's presence coming down to us and allowing us to walk in his presence. And this is the Old Testament, so it's allowing us a way to be in worship like the Garden of Eden back in the day. So maybe a thesis statement of the tabernacle could be, or a thesis, or just a statement about the tabernacle could be this. The mission of God is about his presence in all of creation. It's about his desire to bring his presence and invade all of creation. God's, God wants to be in the presence of all of creation. So that's what he did. God wants to invade your life. He can't force himself. God wants to be in the presence of Mechanicsburg, Urbana, London, certainly West Jeff, West Liberty, um, Marysville. Wherever we are, God wants to invade that area. And that's where we land today. The building of the tabernacle that is the, the host of God's presence. And um, so if you have your Bibles, Exodus 25. And Bill, we can um, bring that picture up if possible. This is just a simple layout. You might not even be able to see it or read anything, but um, I'm going to start reading a few things going through it. But here is kind of what people would suspect that the tabernacle would look like. So, um, for just a simple overview, the tabernacle has an outer courtyard with an altar. The center has a tent with an inner and outer room. Inside the inner room, also known as the most holy place, has a golden box known as the Ark of the Covenant with angelic beams over it. This is the hot spot, um, which, like all the way up top, the back, of, the back room would be the Holy of Holies. I was going to say number two, but you can't see number two up there, I don't suspect. Anyone can see it? And that's why you can't see Columbus. <laughs> I get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. So... Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, number two, um, all the way up at the top, is, is where the ark is, which is the hot spot for the presence of God. This is where God's presence was. There was a mercy seat that sits on top of the ark. Um, there's places to bring sacrifices. I mean, there's much more. There's, I'm just going to stay here. Every piece has a symbolic meaning. Flowers, angels, gold, jewels. They all resemble the Garden of Eden. You realize that? This right here, the more that we read it, the more that we research it, this resembles the Garden of Eden. Us walking in God's presence. So if you want to be able to walk in God's presence, if you want to understand what God is like, then it's going to be important for us to study the boring parts of Scripture. I don't think Scripture is boring the more that you read it. The more that you understand it, the more that you have an open heart to um, repent, to learn, to not have all the right answers, to submit to it, to be accountable to it, then you start to learn awesome things about who God really is and how he did have foreknowledge for us in a plan um, to save us. Nevertheless, um, this place in theory is where God and Israel can meet intimately. That's what he wanted. For him and us to meet intimately. So do we have to meet in tabernacles today to experience God intimately? You don't. That's the good thing. But guess what? Just like uh, we would do today, they broke the covenant. Israel broke the covenant, and we're going to find that in several chapters forward. Just a sneak peek, Moses is coming off the mountain to check in on what's being completed. And while he's coming down, they ended up deciding to worship a golden calf. And what's so unique about it is they said, um, let's worship this Let's, let's build this calf almost in uh, honor of this God that delivered us. They, just, they have the Ten Commandments, and then they created a false idol. It's like, what are you thinking? And then you say, I would probably do the same stupid thing. Nevertheless, they break the covenant. God has given them deliverance, manna, water from a rock, some people say that, that there were two million people out of a rock to water to feed to, or feed water to quench the thirst of two million people. Manna from heaven, water from a rock. The blood over the doorstep, so God passed them over. And now he wants to come live with them. The most important thing that Israel needed wasn't the manna, wasn't the water, wasn't the deliverance. It is where it was, God living and dwelling with them. The most important thing that you need today 
is not a job, is not for your spouse or your friend or your kids to be fixed. The most important thing that you need today is the presence of God living inside of you. You walking in the presence of God. And that's exactly what the people of Israel needed the most. The most thing you need is God dwelling with you. Do we believe that every day? Or do we just understand it? The most important thing that you need is God dwelling with you. Maybe you lose everything. But I carefully say this because I'm still flesh. But it's like we try to gain the whole world. We're happy when jobs are good and our kids are in the paper and our health is good. We're, we're happy when we don't need God, but when we need God, we're not happy. Does that make sense? Can you guys relate to that? The most important thing we need is, is Christ. So if you lose everything tomorrow, it's going to hurt. But all that you need is Christ. And we're getting to the scripture. I promise. So the most important thing that you need is God dwelling with you. So Macy and I, were moving back. So we were living in Piqua. We actually just bought a house a year before um, coming back here. And we're like, well, how are we going to move back? So we ended up just buying a house. Now we're selling the house. We looked at 19 houses in this area. And what we discovered, and I say this carefully, um, but honestly as well, what we discovered is as we looked at these 19 houses, you learn a lot about people, right? Um, so there were two houses that we tried to buy in this area, literally double mortgages. Someone got a double mortgage. So the first house, we're like, oh, they have like 24 hours or 48 hours. We're going to get this house. Like, who in Champaign County who has that kind of money wants this house, right? Nobody. So then it's like, oh, 24 hours went by. We got a phone call from our realtor. They're like, someone got a double mortgage to buy this house. Okay. Won't have this one. So then we put in another offer on another house. Another person got a double mortgage. It was like, God, this is interesting. Um, oh, well. But there was one house that we walked in on that we wanted to put an offer on. And there was army attire everywhere. Boots on the ground. There was mud everywhere. There, there was, um, I was going to say, you can tell a lot about a man by the beer that he drinks. <laughs> I don't know anything about beer, um, honestly. So I was like, oh, he was a, he was a bush light kind of guy. I don't, I don't know what that would mean. Uh, <laughs> You guys can tell me after church. <laughs> but literally, he had, he had beer bottles everywhere. He had um, Taco Bell, and the, uh, there was a cabinet that was broken. The dishwasher was open. Um, there was a window that was, uh, like, almost broken into. 
So there's one, one way that you could probably try to think about this guy. Oh, he's lazy, he's this, he's that. Or maybe he has PTSD. Maybe he's like one of my good friends from high school who, who lost his best friend in war. You can tell a lot about people by the way that you walk into their house. And then there was another house where um, we looked at it, and it was completely empty. It smelled like mothballs, which growing up, they're always moth, right? <laughs> mothballs. Um, but I walked into this other house, and it was empty. And you could feel the emptiness. And it just smelled like mothballs. And... Um, there was a pod out front that was sitting there and sitting there and sitting there. No cars there, and they said the person hasn't been living here, just empty. And I'm thinking, well, if Macy and I were to move in good standings, we're going to bring the pod with us. Well, this house was on the market um, for over a year, and that pod never moved. So then you say, you know, what's going on? Why is this house for sale? Um, What's in that pod? Can they not afford to bring that pod with them? You know, you can learn a lot about people. And then there were houses that um, had a lot of family pictures everywhere. You know, they basically had a picture of their baby at this age and that age and then this age and that age. And then they spelled out their name nice and neat with the kids' pictures. You know, like, like Miller. You know, so David and Nick and Heather and then Mark and Phyllis, and that all completed the M. You know, so they had that all throughout their house. <laughs> and, um, and then some of you have been to Macy in my house. So when you guys came to our house, then, then you guys probably learned a little bit about us, didn't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you learned a little bit about us, didn't, did it, Ron? Um... Now, whatever you wanted to conclude, um, you can say, well, maybe they're neat, or maybe they're dirty, or you could say maybe they're OCD, or those dogs are nuts. <laughs> I did. I was able to show you guys Shady Bowl around the um, island. But you learned about us. I share that to say the construction of the tabernacle, the details of it, the pieces of it, allow us to know who God is at a greater level. And if we continually just fly by it and not read it, then we're missing a key piece that's threaded throughout Scripture of who God is. God wants us to learn about who He is. I'm not going to get to the rest today, but... Um, that's okay. So we're going to get through a piece of it. 25 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. That sounds familiar. These are offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed, red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, 
spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense on um, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod of the breast piece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So God gets to choose, right? Because he's God. Do it exactly how I tell you. So what can we learn about God's presence from this piece, this paragraph right here? Well, verse 2. In verse 2 where it says, Tell the Israelites to bring an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. God wants his people to participate. You know that God didn't. He just appeared in this fire, in, the, in this cloud. He was just in a pillar and in a cloud, right? He just parted the seas. He just delivered um, the people from Pharaoh. Now he's asking for your help. God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need my help. Now, don't hear that as if you don't need to participate. But you know what God loves? Your willing participation. God loves your willing participation to contribute on, in creating a space for him. You know that God loves when you contribute to creating a space for him within Mechanicsburg? When you're willing to engage and pursue someone and create space for him... Wherever we live, God loves your participation in that. One of our taglines is what? We are a participating church. It's biblical. God loves our participation. This is the same principle that we discussed about tithing. From whose hearts um, prompt them to give. God is worshipped when we cheerfully give. Now, giving is just not through money. You realize that? Giving money is actually kind of easy sometimes. It's easier for me to write a check and feel good about myself than it is for me to give my time. So giving isn't just about money. Giving is also about doing and being God doesn't need our resources, but he does awesome things when we are cheerful givers. God is of no lack, but generosity is one way to participate in honoring God. It could also be described as worshiping God. So before God's presence comes off the mountain, he is asking his people to be generous. Before the presence comes into the ark, comes into the tabernacle, he's asking, will you be generous? So now I have the question for you. If God was willing to move through the generosity of people then, why wouldn't God move through the generosity now? And the fact of the matter is, is God will move through our generosity today. 
Generosity don't hear Joey's trying to get in our pockets. Generosity can come with money, but we can also be generous with our time, with one another, because this is the most busy generation in the world. Amen? And, and I say it like this because there's hours. How many of you guys have to do iPhone with the report that you get each, each week? Any of you guys? Hours, you get the report of the hours that you spent a day. So if you spend two hours on your phone a day, you know how many months that is? Two hours on your phone a day equals two months. So that's just screen time on your phone. Scott's looking at the Bible. He's checking uh, Bible commentaries. <laughs> Sending uh, someone a text. That's a, I'm, <laughs> two hours a day equals two months. Is that what you want your life to amount to? You're so busy. I'm so busy that I want two months of my year to be on a screen. That's not even counting Netflix before bed. Because <laughs> you know you get sucked into at least three or four episodes. And then your work suffers the next day. The average usage is around five to seven hours a day. There is a generation of people who are doing nothing on their phones for four, four months a year. Parents, I'd start putting codes on them. We have time to be generous with our time. That peace that you're looking for is not going to be found on the phone. It's not going to be found on Netflix. The recovery that you need is not going to be found on Netflix. It's not going to be found on your phone. The peace and the joy that you need is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you continually spend four months, four months in one year without reading the Bible, that's a problem. Earlier, like when I first got married, I was still in the bachelor stage of playing video games. And then you get married, and then you learn, like, oh, if I still want to be married, I better give this up <laughs> real quick. Um, so I gave up video games. But you know what also convicted me? How could I spend hours on these games? And now kids are like, well, I want to be a professional video game player, so I'm practicing, Mom. <laughs> I wish I had that excuse. Because professional video players, video game players get paid a lot of money. Um, but I was also convicted that I would spend so much time um, on these video games and not read the Bible. See, we can get caught up on everything that doesn't matter. And everything that does matter, we throw off to the side. I say that to say you have time to be generous. We have time to be generous to our community. We have time to be generous at the church with one another. It just means you might need to cut out Netflix. God is worshiped when we cheerfully give. So, I'm trying to find my spot here because we need to wrap up. So the better question is this. 
How generous are you willing to become for the sake of Mechanicsburg? For the sake of your communities? Souls saved. How generous are you willing to become for souls saved? We can talk about it. We can be emotional about it. But when the rubber hits the road, how generous are you willing to, to be for souls impacted here within our communities? As a body of believers, are we willing to be so generous that our, our community is brought into the presence of God? God desires people who want and are willing to pour into his plan and making his presence known. That's what happened before Moses came down. He asked his people to be generous. And because his people were generous, the presence then came. We're going to wrap up because we're past time. I encourage you to read the rest of um, Exodus 25 today, not tomorrow. Um, the better details of, of the tabernacle come next. We have the ark and we have the mercy seat. We have these crazy things called the cherubims. And there's great debate in scripture who they are or what they are. But um, please go home and read Exodus 25. But it was out of people's generosity that then the tabernacle was built. And guess what? This wasn't bring what you had left over. This was to bring fine quality pieces. So let's pray. Father, um, all we got to today was talking about the idea of the tabernacle. I ask that that as we read through it today, as we read through Exodus 25 today, Father, that, that you would give us revelation and understanding of it, that you would give us a deep desire to research and study the rest. Help us be generous people, Father. Help us offer to you and your work our best. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go read about the ark, the mercy seat, cherubims, and cubits. Those aren't those sugar things either. <laughs> That's not a cubit.